Take your Bibles and turn to James chapter 5. James chapter 5. There are things in life that I have come to understand that I will never, ever participate in. It's because I was not equipped to be certain things. I might be about six feet high, but I will never be an NBA basketball player. It is amazing when you stand next to some of these individuals, you watch them on television, and you think, oh, okay, wow, they're doing some things there, but, you know, they're not all that big, but then you actually see them in real life, and you realize, okay, they're able to do those things because they are of a different size, uh, that uh, they can do the things that they do. I went to a Bears football practice many years ago uh, when they were meeting down south of here at uh, Olivet Nazarene down there. And uh, it is uh, quite amazing when you get up next to the guys that are there and you realize how big they are, but also how broad they are. I kind of realized that there were certain things that you imagined as a kid, okay, I could perhaps be that. And then you realized I don't have the makeup for that. There's no way possible that I could be those things. And we might come to that idea when we come to Scripture that we are not capable of doing certain things or doing certain things well because it's just for unusual individuals. People that aren't made up like we are. And as you read through the Scriptures, uh, you find uh, the pages filled with individuals if we pay attention, just like we are. They're not any different. They have the same sin nature. They have the same flesh as a part of their life. Uh, It wasn't that they were some sort of special creation. They're descendants of Adam. And we can participate in some things that uh, you would say are quite amazing, and you get up close and look at them. Uh, You can do these things. In fact, we're commanded to do those things. And one of those things is uh, this element that you find throughout uh, the end of James chapter 5, and it's the idea of prayer. And when we've been going through this series on Sunday nights, it's been the one another's, uh, reflecting Christ, reflecting His work in us towards one another, especially when it comes to those in the church. Okay, uh, We are supposed to be doing certain things uh, to one another and reflecting it back Uh, last week we looked at the things that we shouldn't do but prayer is one of those things that we are capable of doing and doing well and any of us can do it well i want us to look at verse number 13 of james chapter 5 we'll read right through the end of the chapter here end of the book says this is any among you afflicted let him pray is any merry let him sing psalms is any sick among you let him call for the elders of the church let them pray over him anointing him with oil in the name of the lord and the prayer of faith shall save the sick and the lord shall raise him up and if he hath committed sins they shall be forgiven him confess your faults one to another pray for one another that ye may be healed the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much 
Uh, Elias was a man subject to like passions as we are, and he prayed earnestly that it might not rain. And it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth brought forth her fruit. Brethren, if any of you do err from the truth, and one convert him, let him know that he which converteth a sinner from the error of his way shall save a soul from death, and shall hide a multitude of sins. And the first question that we just need to simply ask is this, uh, from this passage is, who's able to pray? Well, anyone can, and the example is a man that we would say is quite incredible man by the name of Elijah. In our translation, our text here, uh, it says Elias, but it's Elijah in the Old Testament. And we do think about the things that he had done that he was capable of doing as a prophet. I mean, one events that we don't have uh, located here is that uh, on occasion he did uh, pray and fire came down. We have this uh, occasion at Mount Carmel where the whole nation of Israel was gathered together and he was just simply believing the Lord could do this. And he prayed and fire came down. He actually, you read his account of his life later on, he actually calls fire down several times. Troops were gathered to, to take him and he was able to call fire down from heaven. But the occasion that they give here is that he prays and it doesn't rain. And you say, okay, so he is uh, able to not have it rain by his prayers. And it's not just one day it doesn't rain. It is several years. Multiple calendar years. I mean, just think through uh, three and a half years and go back to what we were looking at in 2020. And from that point on, it didn't rain a single day in the land of Israel. Now, you say, why was uh, Elijah able to get prayers answered? Now, we have to go back to verse number uh, 17 and understand that Elias was a man subject to like passions as we are. You say, passions, emotions, feelings. See, the occasion that is brought up in this passage that we would be reminded of uh, when it says that he's a man of like passions as we are uh, is found in 1 Kings chapter 19, just after 1 Kings 18, where he calls down fire and the nation calls upon the Lord that they see that he is God, the Lord, he is God. They call this out. But the next day, Jezebel sends a message and says, in 24 hours, if you're not like those prophets... You know, she doesn't say what she's going to do to herself, but basically threatens, uh, you're, you're doomed man, you've got 24 hours. And he takes off and runs, and, and as you read the story, he actually flees for 150 miles. Flees out of the land of Israel, he flees to the southern part of Judah. In some cases, people would say, he's fled right out of the land of Israel, and he's complaining to God and saying, I have done a work for God, and this is what I get paid for. This is what I get back. I get uh, this uh, threat and this individual going after me. Uh, it would be better for me to die. Now, thankfully, the Lord didn't answer that request. But you see, Elijah is one who was afraid, who ran, 
in his case, is almost suicidal in his thoughts uh, and the like. And you just kind of go, but he's Elijah. He's a man that's seen God do great things. And we forget that those people in our Bible that we read about and go, these are the great men of the faith, have the same fragile human makeup. They're individuals who at times will break and run when certain things happen uh, because they're afraid of certain things. And so when we think about, could I have prayers answered like those great people in the Scripture, the answer is, you're just like them. Now, I will say, it does not say this in context, uh, but if you look at the whole of the story of 1 Kings uh, and that story of Elijah holding back the rain, he's just not randomly choosing something uh, to do. You know, let, let's it not have it rain for three and a half years. You have to go back to Deuteronomy, and, and God actually stated in those passages uh, these things, that if the nation of Israel ever went and served other gods, that God would make the heavens become as brass, and that it would not rain, and that the ground would become as hard metal because there was no rain on the ground, and that God would do this. Being a prophet of God, uh, the prophets of God pointed back to what God had declared and uh, reminded the people of these things. And when he prays this, he can pray this fervently. God, hold back the rain. See what the people are doing? You promised that if they were to follow other gods that you would close up the skies uh, from giving the things that they needed. I mean, for him, he's an individual who's actually looking at what God says and communicating that to God. And he's seeing things answered, not because he's a great individual, it's because he knows what his God is like, and is calling upon God to do what God has promised and said he will do. Now, as you think of this passage, and it says there in the middle of it, uh, verse number 16, pray one for another. There's that phrase we've looked at uh, over many nights here in the fall uh, and uh, into this time. Uh, this reflective idea that we're praying for one another, uh, this is something that we can do, any of us can do, and we can all participate in it. Okay, this is not something that we have to say, well, there are certain people who are gifted in prayer. I mean, God does grant spiritual gifts to individuals where they can do things that God is able to use them in unique ways that others aren't gifted in, and they can accomplish things. And it's a gifting of the Spirit. But prayer is not a gift of the Holy Spirit. Prayer is something we're commanded, and we're all, not really even commanded, we're offered as an opportunity to do. Now, in this context of praying for one another, it's, uh, you say, well, what are we supposed to pray for? And I would divide it into two different categories. But it has to do uh, with two different uh, issues. But we're commanded, first of all, to pray for others who are physically weak. And we'll get to the point where we talk about the fact that we're supposed to pray for others who are spiritually weak. 
Now, I start with the, the physically weak one because this is the one that uh, I would say naturally we pray for more often than the spiritual side of things. You know, we're quick to pray for so-and-so because they, they've gotten something going on and, and these type of things. And we might in our, our, I guess, our callous human nature go, really, should we be praying for the physical needs of individuals that they're sick and these type of things? And should we spend prayer energy, prayer time, uh, you might say, uh, in praying for these type of things? James is telling us this is a good thing to pray for. This is not a side thing. This is not uh, something that is uh, not what we should be spending our time praying in and praying for. When you look at uh, these uh, things that the people are going through in verse 13, and, and you think about this in the context of the church, because James is writing to people who are part of the church, and he just simply says this, is there any among you afflicted? Verse 13. You say, what's affliction? Affliction is things that sometimes are caused by circumstances, but sometimes it can be other people. Okay, there can be things like that going on in a person's life. Or uh, is there any merry in the sense that they are doing well? Well, when people are doing well, it's easy for them to sing psalms. When people aren't doing so well, it's easy for them to pray. And that's kind of what James is hinting at uh, there in verse number 13. But you get to verse 14 and it says, is there any sick among you? And what you have here is a, a very unique situation because this is the only passage uh, in the scripture as far as uh, the church attempting healing. You kind of go, you go, well, are we supposed to heal? Uh, well, you look at it all the times that it happens in the scripture. It's miraculous. There's no formula for this. It's something the Lord, uh, either through the apostles, through the signs and wonders that they had in the early church, or he himself did, or the prophets did, uh, but it was not something that was commanded that you heal. But in this case, there was this, this time where these individuals, uh, there's, well, in this case, an individual who is going through a difficult circumstance. Um, is there any sick among you. And as you look at the passage there, uh, the word for sickness that's in this passage is just describing um, an unusual kind of sickness. It's a long and wearing sickness. And this person says, listen, I, I, you know, I, I'm uh, asking uh, for prayer, and there is a special call that goes out to uh, the leadership of the church. And you say, okay, so if we follow this formula, will it work? You have the, the statement here, call the elders of the church, verse 14, let them pray over him. Uh, uh, and the idea is praying upon him, uh, over him is the idea of laying hands on. Okay, it's got that idea that these come in, you do this, and then you pour this oil on the individual. Now, when we come to this passage, uh, there is the, the belief that God is the great physician. Okay, we've got doctors that can do wonderful things. I experienced that in the last uh, couple days with the surgery. Uh, pretty amazing what they can do. But the fact is, is that he is the God of healing. He is the God who does certain things. 
And sometimes it's miraculous because the doctors have no explanation as to why certain things have taken place. I think all of us have uh, had experience in this where doctors kind of shake their head and go, I'm not sure what happened here. And you're just kind of going, well, this has been something that's been prayed about. The Lord's good. And uh, as you go through this and you read this passage here, this is a special circumstance. This is a disease that is being talked about here that from human perspective is an unsolvable sickness. And an occasion where you have uh, the calling together of the church leadership, they are convinced that an individual uh, is, well, that the Lord is really got the possibility of healing them. That the Lord would be glorified by this. And that in doing this, the laying on of hands and the pouring on of oil, there's nothing miraculous about that oil being poured on the individual. It is a prayer of faith, convinced that God is going to do work. I have been a part of uh, several situations where you've had individuals where they have had sicknesses of this level, and the church has done this. It's not the formula every time. You know, I cut my finger. Oh, should we do this? You know, call in the, the healing prayer and the oil. No. I mean, this is a situation where it's, it's obvious from mankind's perspective, it's not good. Unsolvable. But yet there are individuals in the church that just come to the point where they're convinced that there is the possibility of healing. And it's not just a moving of the spirit in the sense that they're going, okay, I, I feel like I'm, you know, we should pray. No, they, they have prayed about this and they go in and just say, may the Lord be glorified by this. He can do a work. I will also say this, that I've also seen a situ- situations where the church has done this. And the person's passed away. You go, what happened? You go, what happened in a situation like that? You had a prayer of faith. Yes, you have a belief that God can heal, but sometimes God is doing things behind the scenes that we do not understand. Now, I, you say, how do we know that? We've been going through the book of Job on Wednesdays. And when we read that story of Job, he's a person who suffers horribly loss of health and loss of, or excuse me loss of wealth and then loss of his health and you look and you go god should heal him right then and there i mean he's a man of uh, faith and following god and he should be healed and you go what's going on in the courts of heaven god's teaching satan a lesson through what job is going through and how job acts in certain situations he's teaching satan something And at times where we have a a situation like this where you do have individuals that are convinced this is a good God and he's a great God and we're putting our faith and trust in him and they do this and it doesn't happen. You say, what's wrong there? God has a different plan. A good plan behind the scenes. He's doing something. But there are occasions and times where you get to the point where you're moved to an individual where you have the church do this. Because you're convinced God is going to do a work. There's a moving uh, in the soul and spirit of, of individuals and just simply saying God is going to do something. But this is not the normal formula. You know, what's the normal formula? Just pray about it. 
I mean, as you read through this, this is what the uh, Apostle James uh, is uh, trying to get across to these individuals, is that they need to just simply pray for one another. I mean, this is an extreme circumstance that he gives, and that you can have healing take place, but what the church is just simply responsible for is to pray for people who are sick. It's your job. It's your opportunity. And do you realize at certain times, as you had in verse number 13, that you're going to be feeling really good. And you're the ones who are going to be able to sing praise and whatever and be able to do that. Uh, but it does not tell you to say, well, don't pray for those that are sick. But you're going to have the ability to praise. You're going to have people who are sick, and they're going to feel like praying. And you go, what's the responsibility of the rest of us? To, to pray with them to pray that they will be healed uh, from whatever it is that is afflicting them and that they're going through. And verse 15, you have this statement, the prayer of faith shall save the sick and the Lord shall raise him up. And if he hath committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. You go, what is that suddenly thrown in there? You realize that sometimes the Lord puts us through difficult things in our health to get us to reflect sometimes you could call it not just uh you know bad things happening it is the chastening of the lord sometimes he brings things into our life to remind us of certain things that we haven't gotten taken care of and so sometimes the the reason the lord's not healing an individual because his work on that individual's not done they haven't come to the point of seeing what they need taken care of. But we have to balance that by the fact of not every sin is because a person's a sinner. Or excuse me, every sickness is not because a person's a sinner. We have two fine examples of this. We have Job. He's suffering. He's a man who eschews evil. He shies away from evil. He shies away from uh, doing those things. He fears God. You see this testimony three times through Job 1 and 2 that he's an individual who's doing what's right and yet he's sick. Okay, so the sickness is not because he's done anything wrong. You also have the story in John chapter 9 where the disciples go by an individual who's obviously blind. I would suggest the fact that he may not have eyes. You know, it's a congenital defect because he says this man, was he one that sinned or his parents, did they sin that he was born this way, blind? And the Lord has to remind his disciples, no, this one is like this, for the glory of God. And you say, why was it glorious? How was God's glory going to be displayed? That just in a few minutes, the Lord is going to be able to heal this individual. This man's going to go right into the Pharisees and begin to proclaim the name of one who was able to heal him and to save him. And Jesus is going to be able to do uh, some preaching that he would not be able to do had it not been for the healing of this individual. That this man had obviously been sick at one time. But our opportunity is to, first of all, pray for individuals who are physically weak. We ought to do this. Okay? And as you go through our prayer list that we have uh, uh, weekly handed out, there's a lot of people there who have pressing illnesses. And you say, is it really worth our time to keep praying for it? And this passage of Scripture in James chapter 5 makes very clear it is profitable for us to do this that we ought to be doing this for one another and reflecting in Christian love. But you also have uh, in this passage, as you go through uh, this passage, there seems to be a hinting at the fact that it's not only 
physical sickness that we ought to be praying for uh, if someone's going through difficulty. It is that we pray for those who are weak spiritually. You can start to see this in verse number 16. Confess your faults uh, one to another. It's not that we have a, a priest that we have to go to. Okay? That's not what this is saying. To confess your sins one to another because we have a great high priest that's in the heaven that we can confess our sins to. But there ought to be, as we look at uh, one another and we start uh, speaking with one another, there ought to be an openness in the sense of our own frailties, our own failures, uh, that we are not superhuman Christians. And at times, our sin, as we've looked at the one another passages, our sin affects somebody else, and it is necessary for us to go and confess our sins to them. I'm at fault. I did these things. It was not right. Uh, and uh, that is a part of it. But in the passages, you go through and you get down to verse number uh, 19, in the context of prayer, You have uh, an individual here, verse 19, if any of you do err from the truth, and that phrase, any of you, is not talking about the world in general. He's actually talking to people who are in the church. Any of you in this circle that I've been writing to in this letter, the church itself, if any of you uh, have this, if any of you do err from the truth, and one convert him. You say, what do you mean by convert him? The idea of conversion is this, is that there is a change of direction. Okay, we're not necessarily here talking about salvation, though salvation is sometimes talked about as conversion. You have a person who repents from their sins, they turn from their sins, they go to faith in Jesus Christ, they put saving faith in him, they're saved, but that's called conversion. But here it's actually talking about someone who would actually claim the name of Christ and they're kind of going in a direction that is not right, that it's a sinful direction, and a believer has the responsibility to help that person what? Turn back to the right path. To get back where they're supposed to go. You're going, I don't really, I don't really think that's the case. Okay, Galatians chapter 6 and verse 1. We went through this passage Galatians chapter 6 and verse 1. I'm going to turn back there uh, so that I get it quoted correctly here. But we went through this uh, about seven weeks ago. And the passage there says this. Brethren, brothers and sisters, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted." Bear ye one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. What are we told to do? We're told if someone we know has fallen into sin, it's our responsibility. If we're right with God and you say, what is it to be spiritual? You go back to the previous chapter in Galatians chapter 5 where it talks about the fruits of the Spirit. You're readily displaying this. This is something that's going on in your life. You're supposed to go to that person and restore them. It's the idea of a broken bones that aren't in line. You straighten them out or nets that are broken and you tie up the holes in the net. That's how that word was used. We've got that kind of responsibility. And so it is in the book of James as you read this, if there's someone who's 
going off the path of where he should be at, then following Christ and reflecting Christ in their life, and you go out and you actually are attempting to say, listen, this isn't right, and you are calling them back. This is something we should do. Verse 20, let him know that he which converteth the sinner from the error of his way shall save a soul from death. In the context here, it is talking about the fact that you have some who would claim the name of Jesus Christ, but they may not actually have saving faith in him. They haven't had it. And they're going in a direction that will ultimately bring them God's judgment. And what you're doing is you're calling them back from that. You know, you're not going in the way that you should go. You need to turn to the Savior. We have a responsibility to do that. And then that statement at the end, verse 20, and shall hide a multitude of sins. Kind of a weird statement to go, listen, if you call this person back and get them back, uh, you cover a multitude of sins. The only thing that can cover a multitude of sins that we know from the Scripture is the blood of Jesus Christ. We know that. But we also have in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 where you have a passage that's talking about love and what it is. And love puts up with things. Love bears with certain things. Love puts up, or is able to endure certain things. As you read through that passage, you suddenly realize that an individual who is trying to reach out to individual who's stumbling and tripping and falling is actually showing a great deal of love is displaying the love that Christ had when he came into the world to try and save sinners. There is a display and a reflection of this. But you do in in all of this, there is an element of not only going after this individual and trying to help them to be where it's at, you have to go back to the context and realize it's talking about Elijah and his prayer in this section. Do you remember what Elijah was praying for? He was just not merely praying that it wouldn't rain because he was like, I don't like these people. I don't like the nation of Israel. I don't like the people of Israel. I I want nothing to do with them. No, he's praying for them that they would, what? A nation that supposedly claimed the name of God. Had God as their their central focus, supposedly, but they had gone off and started worshiping Baal. He's praying for no rain. Why? Because he wants to see the nation come back from their wandering from God. Is it right for us to spend time praying for people that are wandering from God? you know i'm getting nodded head so yeah we we understand this but it is something that we're called to do it's one of the the best things that you can do for somebody is to pray for them and not just pray for their physical needs that they get solved and that's a good thing but there is uh, the best thing that you could be doing is praying for these people's souls the relationship with god that it be restored I mean, a passage like this reminds us that it is okay to be praying for the spiritual needs of your children. 
And the older you get, the longer uh, you are uh, away from them, having direct contact with them, but you know they're going away, they should not be going. Uh, Is it a good thing for you to be spending time praying for them that the Lord would turn them from their, their ways? That they're distant from God. That they're not where they need to be doing. They're not using their life and their health and their energy and their time in a way that would be pleasing to God. They're self-serving individuals. Uh, They are looking for their own goals in life. And you say, is it a profitable thing to continue praying for it? And this passage here says this is the best thing that you can be doing for somebody else and that's praying for them. And we at times don't like putting out our dirty laundry at times we feel. So we oftentimes don't put out in in, uh, some of our statements, pray for so-and-so because they're not doing well spiritually. But I know on occasions when I've talked to individuals uh, and they just simply go, you know, pray for whatever it is, relative co-worker that they've worked with for years and the like and they just simply go they're not anywhere near christ they're far from him would you pray for him and you kind of go can god do the miraculous in the life of that individual bring them back to himself have a restored relationship uh with christ or start You know, these individuals actually start a relationship with Jesus Christ and the fact that they get saved. uh, This can be something that can miraculously happen. It's like that passage we had earlier on in this where the prayer of faith can heal someone. Can, can, Can a miracle of physical healing take place by God? The answer is absolutely because He's the God of creation. But can God actually change the heart of a sinner and do that kind of a miracle? I would argue that the miracle of the saving and converting of an individual is a greater miracle than any physical healing. God can do that also. And so for us, we've got a golden opportunity and we've all got the ability to do this. You know, what do you mean we've got the ability to do this? We've got time. We can pray. We can do these things. And so when it comes to individuals in this congregation, as we look around and and ones that we see on Sunday morning and the ones we see on Wednesday, the greatest thing that you can be doing for them is to pray for them. You may not have any abilities to meet any of their other needs. You know, as a pastor, I get called about things all the time. You go, what do you mean? I get called about things I have no idea about. You know, what about to do the, you know, the stock market here and some things have gone wrong? What am I supposed to do? I don't know. You know, my computer just did this and this and this. Uh, Pastor, what are you supposed, what, what am I supposed to do? I don't know. Now I can pray for him. And I got enough people in the congregation that oftentimes I can go, uh, why don't you talk to so-and-so? They have a better knowledge of what's going on with that and let them try and use their abilities that they have to meet the answers there. But the best thing I can do for them is just simply say, listen, I'll pray for you. I can't, I can't do anything else. You know, I have people that call me and they're like, the doctor told me this and this and this. 
What am I supposed to do? I'm not a doctor. But I can certainly pray for you. And you may feel at times insufficient to go, well, I, I, I can't really help the person specifically in the area that they're having need in, but you can certainly take them to the Lord in prayer and have them uh, have the Lord uh, be the one that can help them and bring their name before that. And God can do the miracle of healing. God can do the miracle of turning. And God can do the miracle of converting. And so for us, one of the greatest works that we can do and I'm, I'm telling you now, we won't see the uh, benefits of this or what goes on until we get into the courts of glory. Some of you aren't going to realize that some of your prayers had impact on the throne of God and it fixed some things because you went to God and said, listen, this person here has a need and the Lord's going to take care of it and we get to glory. The Lord's just going to hold back some of these things and just show us, listen, you prayed for this. And this is what happened in response to your prayer. But right now you go, I don't see all these things being answered and being solved. Well, we're still just simply supposed to do this, pray, because you've got the ability, I would say the ability, the opportunity to be able to do this, to pray for those who are physically in need, but also pray for those that are spiritually in need. It's the greatest work that you can be doing for anyone in this congregation is to pray for them, to take them to the throne of God, to pray in behalf of them before the throne of God. So as James tells us, pray for one another. It's the greatest opportunity you have to impact people in this congregation is to pray for them. Lord, we ask this evening that you would uh, use the individuals here as they come before your throne that they would have impact because they pray. Lord, we have many that are sick in this congregation. We lift them up regularly to you. It may be that you don't solve their physical need but it may be the prayers of your saints that actually give them strength to endure through the day as they should endure in a way that would glorify you that they would have peace of mind that they might not have otherwise lord may we be willing to pray for those who are sick those that are physically weak but lord may we also be willing to spend time praying for those that may be far from you. Some that may have been a part of this congregation uh, and are no longer because they are wandering their own way. Or there are family members that we know of, uh, of individuals that have had opportunity to know Christ and follow him, and they aren't doing that right now. Lord, may we take up the opportunity to pray. And Lord, even in this congregation, if we see someone who's failing in sin, may we pray that you would do a work in their heart. Also go and, and, and challenge them, encourage them to do what's right, but take them to you, the Savior of all mankind. And you will do a work 
You delight in seeing people repent and to change their ways. Uh, This is your desire and heart. And so, Lord, may we have your desire and heart in our prayers as we pray for the restoration, the strengthening, the encouraging of individuals in their spiritual life. So, Lord, may we pray for one another and have impact on one another on a daily basis because you've given us the opportunity to come before your throne and make requests like these known to you, the God of the universe, all-powerful, almighty, that you can answer and you can save. We love you, Lord. Thank you for this opportunity. May we use it well. In this we pray in Christ's name. Amen.